The practice of being seen is about understanding who you really are and daring to share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships, and relationships shape stories. This is Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. And this is Marisa Gowdy, writer and storytelling coach for Healers. And this is The Practice of Being Seen. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Today we're sitting down with Sharon Rosen. I'd like to tell you a little bit about her before we start. Sharon helps women embody peace and live comfortably in their own skin so they can show up in life and relationships with presence and grace that they dream of. Sharon's first book, Crazy World, Peaceful Heart, Six Core Practices for Cultivating Joy and Resilience, is filled with simple, effective practices and inspiration. At the end of our conversation, we'll tell you a little bit more about how to get in touch with Sharon. But welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. I'm excited. We are too. Sharon, I know you talk a lot about filters and how to stay sane (laughs) and awake in this chaotic, ever-changing world. Yeah. And we wanted just to go ahead and dive right into that with you. And in the process, ask you a little bit about your journey into how that became a topic that you woke up to. Hmm. Well, um... That's a great question. It's a big question. It's huge. Um, (laughs) And, um, well, you know, I think like so many people, I've been talking about so many of these things for a long time. We, for the most part, I think in general, and certainly with the increase in the internet and with the phones, you're all living in our phones all the time. So, you know, even when I'm teaching mindfulness, I teach it in an embodied way because what I find is that we have become walking heads. We are bodies that are walking around and energetically cut off at the neck and we're in our heads all the time. We're, you know, If you stub your toe, if you get sick, then you're like, oh yeah, I have a body. And even if you work out, you can be so in your head while you're working out. Yeah. So for me, the mindfulness and the filtering is a very physical activity. It's something, I, I always think of it as, too bad we're not on video. I always think of it as, you know, your, your thoughts are way up here, like my hands are over my head, and I'm literally like grabbing onto my consciousness and my being and sort of pulling it down and uh-huh. pulling it into my body and getting back into myself. In watching you do that, I had, it was almost like seeing you hold onto a parachute but that it, it, once it's kept letting you settle in more gracefully and slowly and then pulling it into you and making that parachute part of who you really are. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's so cool that you saw that because that's how it feels. But I, I'm not the storyteller you are, so I don't know that I would have put it into those, those beautiful words. But yeah, that is how it feels. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, there's one tension in this that I couldn't help but picking up on because I think we all live in this space too. I know you're doing a lot of Facebook Live you know, presentations and we're doing this podcast. We're all working at being seen in different ways. Yeah. And yet we have to be holding the tension of saying, but the noise, are we becoming part of the mm. noise? And I know that has silenced me a lot in the past. Right. And knowing that we need to use our voices and speak up right now, 
what have you been thinking about kind of holding both spaces mm. in that both and place? Oh, that's a great question. Um, part of it is I want to be a place where if people see me and they decide to watch my video, that something about my presence and what I'm talking about helps bring them back into themselves in that way that we were just talking about. Mm. So I'm not looking at it as that I'm adding more noise and I purposely keep them short. Personally, my own attention span has gotten shorter over the years with, you know, flipping through Facebook and, uh, you know, sound bites and all that stuff. I know my attention span has gotten shorter. So I really try and keep them to like four or five minutes and something that people can really kind of rest into Digest is the word that comes up for me. Digest. Yeah. Take in, use, but also, it's kind of the same thing with my website. I've always kept my websites visually very kind of calm and open because, uh, you know, whatever that thing is, people, there's three seconds before they click away. I don't know how long people are staying, but what I want is for people when they land on my website or on a Facebook post of mine or on a video, that there's a part of them that goes, oh, I can relax here. There's not a lot of noise coming at me. Yeah, I have that same experience. When I look at your website, um, I know I try to do that with my own website. Um, but also, when I go to somebody else's website and it's too cluttered, yeah. I, get, I get really, I can feel it in my body. I can feel exactly. myself start like trembling and I, I don't want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's too much information. Yeah, and, and you know, this just seems to point so much to how we're unifying good marketing sense. You know, the mind likes white space, and we're thinking about readability and the three-second rule. But it's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's about coming from a very human place and holding people in what they need mm-hmm. and offering that. I mean, it sounds to me like it's about relationships. It's about <laughs> being yeah. able to see how the effect that I or you or we have on each other. Yes. I love that you brought that up because it's, to me it is, it's all about relationship. And when I, uh, you know, am interviewed or if I post something on Facebook and I say, you know, I'd love to hear your comments, please give me your feedback or, you know, here's my email address. I really love to hear from you. And I I very rarely do, which is interesting. People don't take advantage of that, but I'm wanting to connect. I'm wanting to be in relationship with people and have a conversation and not just, well, but are you going to buy something from me? Mm. It's like, let's be in relationship and talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's when we have to remember this whole, you know, we're talking a lot about our, our digital modalities. And they are so new. And we are not really ready for them. Even people who are young and have come up through them. I mean, you know, whether I had a computer when I was 11 or not, it doesn't matter. Because I think there's parts of our brain that still have not fully figured out how to engage in that space because we weren't evolved to do that, right? Oh, gosh, no. We, we are, um, evolutionarily speaking, we're, we're still looking out for the saber-toothed tiger. Exactly. You know, we don't, we don't quite know what, what all this digital stuff is. It's, not, it's yeah. not sinking in. But, you know, I wanted to come back real quick, Sharon, to the relationship stuff because you recently posted a Facebook Live video where you talked about filtering and... Um, staying sane and staying awake. Mm -hmm. And it's because of that Facebook Live video that we reached out to you and asked you to be here with us today Mm -hmm. to be in discussion with us. Yeah. You know, so I just, like, I want to come back to that and point out that that is 
that's the power of relationship, you know, yeah. even if you're not always <laughs> getting those, those moments of contact on the actual post, because I don't know if I responded to the post, I might have liked it. But right. then we ended up being in discussion about it. Wow. And, you know, invited you to come sit with us today. It means a lot to me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so the, the filtering and the staying sane, um, somebody that I've been you know, being mentored by recently really brought to the foreground that we are, what people aren't realizing, because there is still this explosion uh, of the, on the internet, that we're really moving past or maybe are already past this age of information. Like, we don't need more information. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of information out there, and it's all at our fingertips that now we're more in an age of integration. Yes. Mm. And so, and that for me is that, you know, also that embodied piece. So that's part of staying sane for me is, I mean, it, it all sounds so simple when you say it or when you read it. It's like in my book, I talk about um, the basics and it's, you know, breathing and it's, you know, drinking water, you know, like if we actually did the basics of what it takes to stay well, we'd be in great shape, but we want to make everything, we're complexifiers, human beings, mm-hmm. we are complexifiers. So to keep things simple and to keep things in the body, I mean, for me, literally, I have to talk to myself sometimes and say, Sharon, put down the phone, get up off the seat, go into the kitchen, you know, fix a cup of tea, start prepping dinner, you know, do something. That's how I stay sane. It's like, literally, I have to tell myself, put the darn phone down you have you don't even realize because that that's the other thing it's it's a, such a time suck it's like you go down this rabbit hole and you think it's been 3 minutes and you look up it's been 20 right so just you know I, a lot of it is it's it's kind of like the mindfulness thing it's like training a puppy yes right and mindfulness and meditation isn't about you're just magically going to sit down and because you've decided to meditate your mind will clear of thoughts and it will all be blissful and fantastic it's about <laughs> learning how to work with your thoughts and not get tossed away by them whether they're good or they're not good and just kind of putting them on hold and saying sit stay you know coming back to whatever your point of focus is i often talk about meditation with my clients and one of the things we talk about is how those distracted thoughts are the opportunities to flex the muscle they're the opportunity to keep coming back and that's that's the bigger moment than just staying clear mm-hmm. and staying present because it's each time you come back that you're actually making that muscle stronger, that you're, you're learning yeah. a skill, that you're retraining your brain. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, I say it in a somewhat different way, but, mm-hmm. but that's really beautiful. And I know one of the people I've had the good fortune of being on retreat with, Sharon Salzberg, she says, the point of the practice, the practice happens in that moment. Yes. When you go, oh, thinking... Wow, I just planned a whole vacation while I was meditating. <laughs> okay, back. And that's the practice right there. That's it. Yeah. I find myself coming back to a word you said a couple minutes ago, which is we are all complexifiers. And, you know, I'm thinking about this in terms of what we're just discussing in terms of in relationships and kind of coming in and out and being mindful within them. But knowing we live in this dramatically complex world right now that just got a heck of a lot more complex or so it seems in the last couple of months. And um, so I'd love to kind of speak to that a little more about how knowing we need these practices more than ever and they probably feel harder than ever because it's not only just the technological YouTube usual BS that's distracting us, it's saying the stuff that's happening out there is real and it's not some silly meme this is affecting real lives and how we can kind of, that's where the rubber's starting to meet the road. Yeah. How do we hold that? Mm. Wow. 
Yeah, that's that's big stuff. Um, so the the first thing that comes to mind, which doesn't directly address that, but I'll circle back, is um, you know when we were talking before about filters and sanity. I, I think in certain ways, because it's now our normal, and I'm using air quotes, normal. That you know, it's a twenty four seven news cycle, right? The TV used to go off at like midnight, and the news was only on from you know six to seven or whatever. Like just because it's on doesn't mean we need to be engaging. And it's that cycling. It's that cycle. I became mostly aware of this, you know, after nine eleven. It's like how many times yeah. can I watch those planes hit the mm. building with the constant bombardment of quote unquote information. Like my husband always says when I'm grasping, you know, if I start grasping it like, ooh, 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 there's a really good deal. He's like, there's always a good deal, mm-hmm. right? There's always a good deal. There will be another great sale. So that, you know, that urgency gets built in and then how do we not buy it? How do we disconnect from that sense of urgency? You know, what I'm hearing you talk about is, is the practice of discernment. Yes. Recently, I was listening to a podcast where they were talking a little bit about this practice in the business world, the practice of discerning. Mm. And they said, you know, whenever um, their clients were sitting with having to make a choice, the answer was always to schedule time to come back, that it was never to make the choice or to do anything. The only thing to be done was to give it more time. Yeah, so We're all silenced for a second because I think that seems like such a radical thing to do. <laughs> I'm serious to give yourself yes. more time and say, I have permission to come back to this later when I'm ready for it. Uh, everything we've been talking about in this conversation is about so much about reactivity and gotta, gotta, gotta in our instant world. Yeah. That's radical. Right. I think time becomes the filter, right? Mm. It's not the, I have to read it. I have to see it. I have to digest it all now. It's, it's there. Yes. I can take it in when I'm ready to. I can make choices about things when I'm ready to. Mm. If choices are made for me, then they're made for me. But, you know, there's... Well, that's it. Right. Discernment is about making choices. Yes. It's about making choices and... About what you want to take in, what you want to do with something, how you feel. About who you trust to be your filter. Because that's the thing we, you know, it's very important to go to the primary sources and to listen to what, who's he, what's said and what speech. But that's why we have journalists. That's why we have writers. If we can find the group we trust, they are there to support us mm. and do some of that heavy lifting for us. That's part, that's a relationship in a community we may have with any number of podcasters and broadcasters who help us right. understand. Yeah. Uh, but and you have to figure out who to trust because I even some you know very incredibly intelligent and well-meaning people that I know are you know sharing stuff on Facebook that's coming from what I've now learned are some of those you know maybe not necessarily fake news but so left-leaning and I do tend to lean left and of course the right-leaning people are really listening to the people who lean right but that they're not necessarily the more centrist objective viewpoints. We're always going to have different perspectives though. I mean like this this is not a new problem. Right. You know, the, it's it's magnified we're seeing it differently because of social media and you know a whole bunch of other pieces but the 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 conversation about there being different stories and what's the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can go back beyond biblical times and find the same conversation being had. True. This is a very old 
conversation, which I think brings us in some ways into what are you pointing at? The mystery. Yeah, I was going to go there. <laughs> yeah, good. good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was giving you the notes. I, I, I had already put an arrow there on my okay. page. Okay. okay. So <laughs> we share a brain cell sometimes. <laughs> so I think this brings us right in to talking about mystery, which Sharon, it's from what I understand, this is one of your, your topics, one of your things. Absolutely. Um, can I quote you to yourself for a please, second? Please, please. Okay. <laughs> the mystery is what holds and binds us when every resting place has fallen away. And it is in the falling that we find a deeper sense of safety and reassurance because everything is possible, yet nothing is guaranteed. Mm. Ooh. Wow. You wrote that, sister. <laughs> I wrote that. That was, <laughs> that was pretty good. I know. I, I, I channel some good stuff sometimes. Um, so, as you both know, uh, one of my main ways of looking at the world and understanding life and relationships and God, and I just, that's the word I use, use whatever word works for you, um, the unknowable, uh, comes from Kabbalah, which I've studied, you know, relatively deeply on the grand scale of all that there is to know and study. And um, it's a path that really talks a lot about the mystery about the fact that we can't really know. And that's something I've heard from, I guess it comes from Kabbalah, but I've heard it through several different people that the the greatest power actually comes from don't know mind. You know, we want to figure things out. We want to have it all just, you know, very linear and, and understandable. And there's so much of life that we just can't know and understand. You know, some of the teachings that I have read talk about the beginner's mind, they talk about this state of awakening, and so much of the common threads amongst different um, traditions or, or different ways of looking at this, this wisdom kind of, of what's out there is that it's, it's in the unknown, when we can sit with that, when we can s- tolerate and sit with the discomfort of not knowing, mm-hmm. that the awakening starts to happen. Right. Yeah. Can you talk more towards that from mm-hmm. your perspective? Yeah. Um, well, you know, my mind just goes in so many different directions. Um, we'll follow you. (laughs) You know, the first thing I thought of was, you know, like I never felt like I really needed science to back up a lot of the things that I know and believe because I've had an experience of it. Um, but people love science, but you know, I always think about, talk about the the biggest mystery. You know, we all know a sperm and an egg come together and it creates a baby and cells start dividing. Well, how do the cells know to divide? Like that to me is the mystery. Mm. What is that? Or, um, well, there's so many things like for me, when I learned about in Kabbalah, there's a concept of the Ein Sof, which is kind of like the Tao, but it's the, it's the limitless light of everything. It's the everything ongoing beingness that we're all held in. And I actually found that to be something that was easier for me to relate to than the God of the Bible when I would try and read the prayers in English and smiting this one and, you know, saying do this or you don't get to do, you know, I didn't really relate to that, but I related to this larger container in which we don't, we just don't know and not knowing is for me it's actually a place of um comfort i was thinking as as i was listening to you talk 
I was thinking the not knowing becomes a way of being held. Yes, and being held. That was exactly the next thing that I was going to say because, let me see if I can say it the way I feel it. Um, I think there's a lot of power in not knowing. So I I love to use um, especially Zen teaching stories. And one of my favorites is the story about the farmer, Mm -hmm. right? So there's a farmer. I'll just very briefly tell the story. The farmer and... um, He's having a hard time taking care of his land, and so a horse comes onto his property, and wow, now he's got a horse, and the neighbors are like, wow, that's fabulous, and his response is, I don't know, good news, bad news, and then his son is on the horse, and he falls off the horse, and he breaks his leg, and the neighbors go, oh my God, what, oh, that's awful, and the farmer says, I don't know, good news, bad news, and then the men are called off to war, and the son can't go because he broke his leg, and on and on like that. And I just love that story because we don't know. We We don't don't know. And also, I think, especially in certain realms of people with a spiritual bent, and, um, you know, there is a a tendency to kind of jump to, you know, well, it's all good and learn the lessons. And, you know, but to me, it's talk about non duality, it's everything. It's like, you know, if you stub your toe, your first response is going to be, ow! crap, why did that, ow! And then maybe later you'll go, oh yeah, I've been meaning to move that table for a while and now I guess that was my lesson. So rather than judging yourself for your clumsiness or for your reaction, because when we don't allow our own humanity, that's where the real problems come in, right? Yes. Yeah, I often talk about those painful moments, like stubbing your toe um, or getting into a fight with your partner, being reminders. Yeah to tune back in. It goes back to the mindfulness yes. that you were talking about before. Exactly. It's yeah. all, all of the above. Yeah, so those are actually moments of awakening. It's, and it's so much about, people talk a lot about the shadow, but it's, it's really about owning your humanity. Like you said, Marissa, you know, we're not perfect. And we want to grow and we want to know ourselves and... Um, become better people. But for me, part of becoming a better person is, and, and being more awake is letting myself off the hook. Mm. You know, I'm so, I'm just so over beating myself up about stuff. And that's one of the things I, I really work and try and support my clients in doing less of for themselves, because we're, we are never harder on anybody than we are on ourselves. And who needs compassion more or as much? You know, which is why I, you know, traditionally, not always, but in some traditions, you start the loving kindness meditation practice yes. by giving yourself compassion. Because if you're not giving it to yourself, right, then who is? Then who is? Right. And if you're looking for it outside all the time, and it's, and then there's the opposite. You know, you work a lot with couples. Um, I, you know. I always heard, you know, relationships are hard work, and I was mostly single until I was in my 40s. And then I met my husband, and it's like, okay, we're all grown up, more or less, and we're fairly self-aware. And then we start living with this other person. And, of course, I just want to blame everything on him. Like, what a wonderful foil. (laughs) And then I had to learn so much about myself and all the places that I wasn't healed yet and that I wasn't um, awake yet. Which brings me right you in. Big smile on your face. <laughs> I do. You know, I'm I'm curious about your process, your personal process of awakening. Mm. And as you're talking about, you know, your husband and 
seeing these different parts of yourself and reflection and relationship, I'm wondering if that played into it. What, what played into your process of waking up to the point that you are now? Wow. Um, I think being really unhappy and having a, a strong um, biogenetic disposition and also to me being Jewish, a tribal disposition towards anxiety and depression and and then there's the whole human thing of how we're still wired you know to be on the alert for the saber-toothed tiger like learning a lot about um, neurophysiology and how all of that works but it started with having a family history of depression and mental illness and experiencing it myself in my own life and then getting to a point where I just and I was fairly young when this happened but at least mentally saying to myself, you know, the buck stops here. Yeah. Like I, I, I've got to, like, I don't want to live like that. And if I have kids, which I didn't have, but I figured at my twenties, I thought I would, I don't want to pass this on. So that was probably the thing that got me started on the, the journey of, you know, therapy and spiritual searching and, you know, personal growth workshops and reading copious books um, yeah. And teaching. And teaching, yeah. Because teaching becomes a way of making it yours. Right. And it also helps you to, like, so I have a, um, a phrase that came up many years ago in conversation with a friend where somebody was going through something. And, you know, we, we kind of, you know, that place that you, in a conversation where you kind of drop in. First it's all the blah, 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 blah. I can't believe this, blah, blah, blah. And you drop in and something comes out. And I said, see we forget to remember that we know what we know. Oh, I love that. Like we have so much wisdom inside of us, natural wisdom as human beings. Say it again. We forget to remember that we know what we know. Mm. And so that's been a, a watchword. That's been a, a, a key phrase in my life. It was going to be, the, I thought it was going to be the title of my book, but I ended up calling it Crazy World, Peaceful Heart. But it's in there. I got it in there. And um, so, that yeah, we need to... You, you were talking about waking up and staying sane and all of that. We have to end the mindfulness piece. So It's if, all connected. It's all connected. If we don't make the time for ourselves to be still and step away from the distractions and be quiet inside of ourselves and not believe every thought we think. <laughs> Which I think is really important because sometimes those distractions are not external. Yes. Oh right? my gosh. <laughs> it's not just the stuff that's coming mm. at us from all these different no. real or fake news sources, but it's the stuff that's in our head. Right, right. It's that, it's that monkey mind. It's that hamster wheel. It's that, oh my God, isn't there an off button? No, there's no off button. Now what? So we have to become the off button by integrating certain practices and mindset shifts into our lives. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You know, you mentioned the title of your book, and it just feels so prescient that that's where your title, you know, I, I don't know how long ago you wrote it, but it feels so prescient as we're in this time yes. of our crazy world, and we need a, what's the second part of Peaceful it? Peaceful heart. Peaceful heart. Yeah. Mm. Can you bring us into the heart a little bit? We've been talking a lot about mindfulness, and mm-hmm. I just love to, to kind of, as we conclude here, how can we hold, hold our hearts in all this? Hmm... Well, sometimes for me it's a physical thing. So literally putting one hand on the heart and also one hand on the belly, Mm. which also connects us through the central column in the 
the tree in Kabbalah. Um, I think remembering our essential goodness, like really reminding yourself that no matter how much you might screw up in life, like your intentions are basically good. Mm -hmm. Um, The loving-kindness practice for me is a big one. Um, Yeah, and just remembering also all the people that I am connected to. Like when I went through my one of my worst depressions back in my late teens, early 20s, no matter how awful I felt and how much I felt like, what am, why am I even here? This is just so awful. I would think about all the people that loved me and I would think about all the people that I loved. And even when I was going through that horrible depression, I made new friends. Yeah. It's like, okay, s- there's some goodness here. Mm. And then how do you hold on to that and then expand and build on it. I'm wondering if, you know, the teacher side of you could come out for a minute and if you could maybe lead us and our listeners through a brief little meditation, maybe a loving kindness one or, or something that, you know, something small that we could just take with us to hold on to. Oh, I would love that. Thank you. Yeah. So the basic loving kindness practice, there are so many ways to do it, but you generally, it's a repetition of four lines and the ones I like to use are fairly simple so you just say quietly to yourself may I be safe may I be strong may I be peaceful may I live with ease so may I be safe may I be strong May I be peaceful. May I live with ease. And just repeat those phrases silently to yourself in whatever rhythm feels right for you uh, for at least, I would say, two, three minutes, more if you can. And if you want to put one hand on your heart to just really present yourself there, that's a beautiful thing too because it is a lot about embodiment. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You know, that, that of course, brings me now into a whole other discussion. (laughs) Because what what that brought up for me was a Viktor Frankl quote, um, you know, for man's search for meaning. And I'm I'm not remembering the quote exactly, but I know that he talks about our, um, the last of our freedoms being the way that we look at the world. Mm. Right? And that being the one that nobody can really ever take away from us. And Wow. That is beautiful. And that's exactly it. I've, you know, I've spent so much time in my life and listening to clients. I was mostly a massage therapist for a lot of my career. And, you know, it's kind of like being a hairdresser. You know, people tell you everything. It's maybe even more so, so intimate. And the proliferation of um, negative or unhappy uh, stories and mindsets it, it it was astonishing to me. Yeah. And, you know, and so the more I've shifted that in myself, and that's one of the things that I help, you know, people when I'm working with them one-on-one is how do you let go of those stories? How do you not take them to, so seriously? How do you make the choice to make a, a shift in your mental perceptions, which, and see, we could talk for ever because then that comes back to discernment because I'm not talking about spiritual bypassing which I think is a real 
issue in a lot of spiritual circles where people just they they just kind of leapfrog right over the problem. But you're talking about the through line. I'm talking about the through line. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Go the deeper. Through line. And so you have to know how you think. There's the cognition, the type of thinking that gets things done and makes things happen and helps people figure out how to build chairs and houses and cars and boats. And then there's that discursive thought where the same loop is going around and around and around in your head. Oh, I can't believe she said that. What am I going to do? This feels really awful. When we get hooked into that, that's not helpful. I mean, we might work through some things as we're doing that, but when we keep catching ourselves in the same loop, to me, that's when it's like, like a, you know, when a kid is, you know, having a tantrum and then you hand them a toy, it's like redirect. So how do we redirect ourselves in our own minds when we catch ourselves? And that's the mindfulness piece. And I need to take a little story detour here, please, because a few minutes ago you talked about, you know, our stories and how they keep coming up. And there's certainly a pejorative sense around, oh, you know, you got to change the tapes on your old stories. But it becomes an act of discernment and an act of reclaiming and that very cognitive way that we put our stories together, Mm. our own understanding, our own life stories, and also deciding how you were going to tell a story so that we can communicate an idea to someone so that we can, you know, evoke a feeling in somebody else so we can make sense of our world. I just feel like that interplay is very much alive in this work because I know for me, I've struggled with mindfulness and that feeling like I'm supposed to go empty my brain. How can I? I'm a storyteller. I need this stuff. Um, But I love you trying that you opened up a window to let us see this in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of different, you know, I was just even thinking this morning as I was meditating, I was thinking about, um, writing a post or talking about something that sitting quietly is not the only way to meditate. Because what is meditation? It's focused awareness. Where are you focusing your awareness? And it's about harnessing your awareness. So uh, that's so important. And also, you know, people talk about the power of now and being the now. But what about the deliciousness of beautiful memories or the excitement of planning that trip? Because part of the fun of the trip is the planning and the exploration and the thinking about what it's going to be like. So it's, you know, again, it's like, you know, all of the above. Yeah. I, I heard a, a TED talk, I think it was a while back where it was this brilliant scientist type guy who was talking about the bogusness of the power of now, <laughs> because he was basically saying like, there's never a now. By the time That's you right. get to realizing that you're in it, it's behind you. That's St. Augustine. Is that who that is? Well, no, well, not in the TED Talk. Oh, okay. I don't know who it was. But <laughs> he would be from the grave in 1,500 years ago. But that whole concept of our awareness is always doing those loops forward and backward. And as soon as you're saying, I'm in the now, well, no, you're not. That's right. And that lets us off the hook in a whole other way. Yeah. And allows our humanity to mm. say, it doesn't work that way. Right. Because as soon as you're aware of your breath, you're on to the next breath. That's right. There, and there is no perfect state. I, I, I know Jack Cornfield has said this. I'm sure a lot of people have said this. But, you know, when you start to really think that you're enlightened, go home to your family. I think it was Ram Dass who was said something Ram like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I wrote in my book, you know, you're like, mm-hmm. just when I think I'm really got my act together, call my mother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who I loved and we had a fabulous relationship. But, oh, my goodness. She was oh, my mother. Mothers can trigger us like nothing else. <laughs> 
the family is the first container. Yes. Oh, yes. So isn't that just an amazing paradox right there? Yeah. That we're at once going there for nurturance and support and we need to be held, but, oh, don't hold me that way. Right. And that it's an invitation to move into all the, you know, we're talking about, you know, pain as awakening, the stubbed toe. <laughs> the family is the stubbed toe. <laughs> Big yeah. time. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's a great reminder, too, of just how to sit with the very things that trigger us and give them the attention or attunement that they need. Mm. Because everything is spiritual in that sense, that we're allowed to take our angst about current events, about whether or not we've gotten to go on a vacation any time recently, and make that part of our process and honor that to say, this is happening to me. How can I bring it to the meditation cushion? How can I bring it to prayer? How can I bring it to conscious awareness and not just try to turn it into like, oh no, should be thinking higher thoughts right now. How do I, how do I make it real so it works? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, now you got me wanting to go in a different direction. Where do you want no, to go? Well, not a different direction, but about, about you know, keeping it real. Um, you know, one of the things that I love about Judaism, and not that I'm the most devout Jew and I don't know all the prayers, but I, I know this, there's actually, it is it is an embodied religion. There's actually a, a blessing that you say for having a really good crap in the morning. Yes. Because thank you, creator, who gives us orifices that know when to open and when to close. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Oh, I love it. I had such religion envy when I heard about that for the first time. I'm like... God, I'm a Catholic kid. We got blood and wine, but that's not my experience in the same way that morning routine might be. I'm so curious why I never learned about that in Hebrew school. Yeah. That would have connected with me. Right. We didn't learn about a lot of the good stuff in Hebrew school. And and I think that's why so many, you know, that's why so many Jews have gone to the ashrams and the zendos. And yet there's so much riches, which was also why I was so happy and excited to study Kabbalah. I was like, oh, I never wanted to not be Jewish. I just wanted to have some really juicy, spiritual stuff that I could really connect with. You needed the mysticism and the mystery. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's what's at the heart of these great faiths yes. that pulls us into, I see myself in this. Yeah. I see something I need. This isn't tradition that seems too hard to identify with. Right. It's the holding of all the unknown. It's the holding of all the unknown, and it's the container. It's when you find a container that you can feel really held in and rest into so that you can continue to unfold into more and more of your wholeness. Mm. That's a beautiful thing. And right there, we drop the mic. That's a beautiful thing. Sharon, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to see you and to hold all of us in the wisdom that you brought forth today. Wow. Well, thank you. Being with the two of you is uh, its a great blessing. And we are lucky to have Sharon here in our studio in the Hudson Valley. So Sharon, can you tell us a little more about how people can get in touch with you and find more about your work, both locally and Anywhere where someone is with a computer. Anywhere someone is with a computer or a phone. Mm. Yes. Um, I actually love working on the phone because then you don't have the visual distractions and you just kind of laser right in. It's like a podcast versus a video. Exactly. Intimacy of audio. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it is. You're just, it's that auditory connection. But um, so my business is Heart of Self Care. And so my web address is heartofselfcare.com. No dashes or dots, just 
like one long word, heart of self-care. Um, I do have a, a free gift for people who sign up um, to get my, at the moment, fairly intermittent newsletter, usually twice a month. Um, and it's a 10-minute audio meditation that I call 10 Minutes to Your Calm Center. And, um, and I do a newsletter, and I have my book, Crazy World, Peaceful Heart, and I work with people in person uh, in New Paltz. I do body work, energy healing, but I also work with people long distance anywhere doing the Kabbalistic healing work, which is so beautiful, and you don't have to know anything, <clears throat> and you don't have to know anything about Kabbalah. Um, the work uh, sort of speaks for itself, and it's really a, just a way to, again, blossom into greater and greater levels of wholeness and feel more at ease in yourself and in your relationships. Um, I do some coaching. I call it a combination of coaching, teaching, and healing. I love that. And those, those three things together, I think, really hold people in a space where they can not just get cognitive awarenesses, but also uh, start learning how to incorporate practices into their lives in a way that really works for them, and then receive these beautiful, spiritual, energetic, atmospheric healings that um, just really help nourish the soil of their being so the changes that they want to make can really take root. Well, this conversation with you has really shown us that very energy and power. So thank you so much, Sharon. Thank you. And we'll include your website in our show notes. Excellent. So for more great content, check out thepracticeofbeingseen.com and spread the word by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Music written and performed by Christopher Farris and produced at Kidneystone Studio. Studio.